0: Okay, welcome everybody to another sub-episode of Vampire the Chicago Chronicles. This is a Vampire the Chicago Chronicles sub-episode. Sub-episodes are separate stories to the main campaign, focusing on the nightly pursuits and and agendas of a single coterie member, while the events that are about to transpire are disconnected from the main arc of the campaign They may have consequences in the campaign and may even affect the un-lives of the entire Coterie. Tonight's episode is entitled An Animal Out of Context, and focuses on Alexander Borgre, played by Tom. Before we begin, our standard disclaimer, Vampire the Masquerade is a dark game of personal horror. You will hear descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D. There's not even Call of Cthulhu. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. It's July of 2008. Over the last two years, you have established yourself amongst kindred society in Chicago. As a Zamisi, you're not exactly the life of the party anywhere you go. Wherever you go, Strange looks, trepidatious whispers, and half muttered, half fearful threats that follow you wherever you go. But you've still found a niche within vampiric society. What have you been doing for the last two years? Well, I've been a butler my whole life. I come from a
1: long family of butlers. We have served the rich, we have served the powerful, the famous, the infamous. So it's natural I have found myself a master.
0: Yes. A master whom we will sure surely get to know very soon. Before we begin Would like you to please uh, roll for me a d4. I'll just grab one for you, unless you have one in hand. I can just keep re-rolling this until it's a... Here we go, here's a d4. (coughs) This will determine your starting hunger for tonight's episode. (coughs) Four. Four. And so this particular night, late July 2008... You are in your haven, busied in your work, perhaps not noticing the ravenous hunger that has built up within you. Whatever you have been doing in your haven, whatever you have devoted your entire being to over the last few nights, it has prevented you from feeding. And now, as you take a break from your work, you feel it, your insides shriveling as if they were alive as the beast calls out for blood. Please describe your haven that you've been staying in, as I understand that you have your own haven away from the other members of the Coterie. There's a simple
1: cottage, four walls, plus a generous library. Not extensive, but not inconsequential either. It has a bare Spartan living area, table, chairs, and a workbench where several books, neosoteric and horticultural, lie open pages dog eared from use. Um, It has a, a simple abode that opens into a greater ground on a large
0: property. Over the last several nights you've tried to indulge in the simple pleasures of gardening something that you quite enjoyed when you were living. You've tried to get some flowers and some flowers and other otherwise simple uh, plants to grow outside your cottage. Plants that would not require much maintenance or skill in gardening but of course as you're only active at night you've had quite some trouble growing even this simple garden. That was until you learned that by slitting your wrist and dropping rivulets of your vitae into the soil, you could cause these plants to grow even in the absence of sunlight. And it is now on this night as you stand in the threshold of your cottage uh, looking over your work that You appreciate that you've somehow managed to grow something that any gardener would be proud of. It's a good start. The flowers have grown, they have bloomed, the creepers are snaking around the foundation of your cottage, some of them even growing as tall, even growing tall enough to begin to wrap on the window panes. They have grown quickly. They have have grown quickly, they have grown seemingly without any maintenance on your part, and most of all, your blood seems to have allowed them to grow to an unusually large size. Uh, I return to my experiment. I
1: recall that with manipulations of my blood I can create permanent or semi-permanent alterations into the flesh of myself, wondering so this transfers to my blood whether I could perhaps shape the trees that drink from it, and I'm slowly coaxing a small bonsai uh, willow Seeing if I can use my powers to shape it how I wish.
0: You may make an arts and crafts gardening check uh, with intelligence. And if you would like to use your vicitude, you may rouse the blood and add an extra dice to the dice pool. Alright, so, blood.
1: Blood. blood. Dice
0: for Rouse. I am at Hunger 5. Ooh. <laughs> well, you may add your entire uh, pro. you may add your protein rank to the dice pool. Wonderful. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Rules clarification. Do I add the extra blood dice to this roll for future rolls?
0: Uh, for future rolls, future roles.
1: Uh, So, sorry, I'm just creating my dice pool. successes.
0: Do the ones count as anything? The ones, each one cancels out a success. Okay, so one negative ones. Negative ones. So you're and I'm frenzying. Yeah, you're you're sitting there. You're sitting there trying to coax this bonsai into the shape of something other than a tree. Perhaps cause it to grow in an unusual way. See if you can use your your vicissitude abilities to warp its growth but the experiment doesn't seem to go anywhere you feel the blood surging through your body and reach out to reach out to twist the form of the bonsai the trunk immediately grows before you your blood surging through it the, tr- the, the once tiny tree soon balloons out throughout your study, at least two, three meters tall. And then it begins to vibrate as the the trunk grows more and more bulbous, as if it's starting to be filled with liquid. It vibrates and then explodes right there in your study, sending sap and sap pus and blood all over the walls and the furniture. And this causes you to frenzy. Alright, can I describe? Yes, you may. In hatred and
1: frustration, my form twists and wreaths. My fingers grow long, my eyes grow wide. And for the fifth time this week, my little room is destroyed. It becomes obvious why I keep it spartan. Chairs become splinters, the walls ripped out. My desk lies in
0: splinters. I need blood. <laughs> you reach out for what's left of the bonsai there in the pot. It looks like a fleshy pulsating bulb. Doesn't look like it doesn't look like Anything recognisable as a plant, it's more like a hunk of meat growing out of the pot. You pull it out, hold it there in your hand, and as it pulsates, you crush it with your fingertips. Blood begins to drain out from the pustule, and you lift it to your mouth, and just suck all of the blood out of it. It May reduce your hunger to four.
1: Alright. As I sit there and sanity returns to me, I stare at the hunker plan in my head and I suppose this is the closest thing I've had to a success in a long while. And then I cast it aside and sit there and
0: ruminate. Somehow, what you managed to do was cause the bonsai to adopt the properties of something less plant, more animal. You caused blood to surge through its stalks and branches rather than sap. Perhaps as you ruminate on how it vibrated, how it pulsated before exploding all over the room, perhaps you even managed to give it a heartbeat. Your phone beeps. You look around for it and eventually see the shape of it underneath your now splintered desk. Drops of blood coalescing on the screen of the phone and caking into the keys. I flick it open and answer. You flick it open and you see a text message on the screen. It reads, Meet me at succubus, darling. A. Your master, as you've come to think of her, is summoning you for aid. Alright.
1: I flick, I dial, into my phone, the um, uh, groundskeeper for the estate, I said, new set of furniture. Send the cleaning crew
0: down, so You I can really- keep their mouth shut. You hear him sigh on the other end, and he says, Again, it's the third set in a month.
1: I just breathe heavily into the line. Making it uncertain that he should continue to question me in this current
0: state. (laughs) He seems to understand your temperament. He says nothing more, his silence for a few moments, and he says, Okay, Mr. Borgra, I'll handle it, leave it to me. Uh, best of luck in uh, whatever endeavours have uh, taken up most of your time. I suspect you need it. I hang up the phone.
1: And go to the next room and rinse my body down in the shower and then change into a uh, evening wear. Simple waistcoat, uh, grey slacks, a white shirt, a red tie
0: And make my way down to the Succub's Club. Yep. Uh, it's been two years since we last caught up with you, Alexander Borgra. Do you have a car? Uh yes. And so I presume
1: you'll be driving your own... Yeah, it's a um, simple sedan. Um, good safety features. Uh, uh, inconspicuous is how I'd describe
0: it. Something that wouldn't draw a second glance on the streets of Chicago. Not top of the line, not a beta. something that allows you to blend in. And so you open the door of your vehicle, your trusty but humble vehicle, (laughs) climb inside and begin to drive into downtown Chicago. The it's the quaint suburb the quaint quiet suburbs that you've come to love for how they allow you to experiment conduct your experiments in peace soon give way to the patchwork of lights and glass towers that is downtown chicago you make your way into the section of downtown known as the rat the concentration of bars, nightclubs and other establishments that once upon a time before the Second Inquisition would have been the prime place for the city's movers and shakers to hunt and the crown jewel in the middle of this the uh, middle of this rack, the succubus club. A neo-modern multi-story building that commands the attention of anyone walking past it. It is not a skyscraper. It's not a glass tower. It's barely even lit, save for the neon sign out the front that simply reads succubus, but somehow its grandeur overshadows anything else in the street. This nightclub is the place to be for chicago's kindred it was reopened only only a handful of years ago its unknown business owner working quickly to turn the once abandoned building into The greatest spot in Chicago's nightlife and now as you drive up to it you can see lines of mortals out the front extending all the way to the end of the city block and beyond as they wait to be admitted into the place that everyone has to be. You park your car in the parking garage opposite the succubus club climb out and quickly cross the road you make your way past the throngs of mortals to the vip entrance beyond them the entrance that you've that you know that kindred such as yourself use and standing out front is a bouncer, but not a regular bouncer. You can tell by the pallor of his skin, his bloodshot eyes, that he is a kindred, based on the based on the thick muscles that run down his biceps and legs. Possibly a bruhar or a gangrel. And as you approach him, he holds out a hand for you to stop. He looks you up and down, and he says. I told you last time, your kind's not welcome in here unless you got business with someone within. And as far as I understand it, Prince ain't holding Elysium in there tonight. My name's on the door. Get the fuck out of my way. Please make a Charisma Intimidate check. (laughs) Well, I have no Charisma, but I have a lot of Intimidate.
1: Uh, with four blood dice. Uh, I suppose that threat wasn't particularly veiled.
0: No, it was quite quite an explicit Robert.
1: threat. Uh, that is one success. One success.
0: In a roll game. Um,
1: no, if that is a fail, that is a um, bestial failure.
0: That is three successes on his part. He just keeps his hand in place, he shrugs and gives you a look that says you want to try me, and then he says, he says, I got half the primogen in there bud, you're already on thin ice in this city, ain't nobody gonna be sticking a neck out to defend a Zamisi, especially not head of the Chantry, who's in there right now, so go ahead, you want to try to fight your way past, I'm waiting. Roll to resist Frenzy, please.
1: Uh, Which is composure. It
0: is, uh, yes. Uh, Actually, it's just willpower. Just willpower? Yep, and you are going at difficulty three. One, two, three, four, five.
1: And there's no blood dice for willpower. No. No. Uh, That is is two.
0: Two, four, six successes. Six successes. You feel your beast inside you screaming at you to put this man in his place—a lowly bouncer speaking down at you, as if, as if you were but dirt under his shoe. But you take a deep breath, and restrain yourself. What would you like to do? Check the list. To like you to please make a manipulation uh, persuade check.
1: <coughs> this is all blood dice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, luckily there's no... so three successes, uh, no ones or
0: tens. Okay he smiles at you <laughs> and reaches into his He reaches into the pocket of his shirt pulls out a piece of paper and he's smiling as if he fully expects to open it and not see you on there even scoffs as he unfolds it and says (laughs) no one's inviting the likes of you into the crown jewel of the Camarilla he looks at the piece of paper and you see him frown and he says and bell's expecting you. And as
1: I whisper. I whisper as I walk past him.
0: Killing a beacho easy there are worse than death. There are worse things than death. He just looks at you and steps back wordlessly gesturing for you to enter. You walk past him, push your way through the doors, and enter the succubus club's first floor. A huge metallic and glass dance hall. Lights and lights, smoke and pyrotechnics flashing all around you, reflected off the shiny floors and shiny walls as electronic music pulses in your ears. This is not your scene. Please make a wits awareness check. What the.
1: Uh, one success, no messy.
0: You look around scanning the dance floor, your gaze past seeing the throngs of dancing revelers. Behind them, you see the silver staircase that leads up to the second floor, a balcony that overhangs the dance floor, looking down upon it. Here is where the Primogen uh, hold Elysium. Where they spend their nights plotting and... plotting and scheming with each other. And so you push through the crowd, make your way up the stairs, and as you emerge on the balcony you find the gaze of half of Chicago's primogen bearing down upon you. You see Critias the Brujah Primogen just idly contemplating you, rubbing his grey beard with his thumb and forefinger as he thinks. Beside him you see Rosa, the Gangrel Primogen, just staring at you quietly, her eyes and mouth narrowed as she decides whether or not you are a threat worth violently ejecting. Then, Suddenly, one of them stands up, a dark-skinned man wearing a long red robe and cloak, sporting a well-groomed, magnificently grown black beard that makes him look like a wizard out of an old fantasy novel. He looks at you, his eyes burning with hatred. And as you quietly step off the landing of the stairs and walk into the midst of the Primogen's lounge, he takes a step towards you, opens his mouth, baring his fangs, and says, What brings scum like you to a meeting of the Primogen? This is, of course, Abraham de Sable, the head of the Chantry, the primogen of the Tremere, an ancestral enemy of the Zemeci. And you've gotten quite used to this gaze, this manner coming from him and his clan.
1: A thin, practiced smile crosses my face. This isn't the first overbearing master of attended nor will it probably be the last My my, my presence was expected my lord and if a primogen were to request my presence what option such a lowly one such as I would do what other what would you have me do disobey the direct order of one who occupies standing such as yourself.
0: It were up to me, he says, his voice dripping with venom, you would be staked, left on the chantry roof, and the vitae within your body drained to be used as fuel for our sorcery. Nothing more than that. But alas, it's not up to me. Yes, and yet here I stand, unstaked with all my vitae intact. He bears his fang silently, growling at you. Uh, and then s- lets his shoulders hang limp and leans back down, sink- sinking back down into his leather armchair as you hear the sound of high heels clip-clopping across the glass floor. And you see Annabelle Triobelle, the Toreador Primogen, entering the lounge from one of the uh, private rooms in the back, looking stunning as usual, dressed in a white sequenced gown that is is immaculately, perfectly tailored to hug her body in all the right places, her long blonde hair running down past her shoulder, looking as if it had just been styled by the greatest Paris had to offer. Her blue eyes sparkle in the flashing lights of the Succubus Club. She smiles and she says, Yes, Abraham, I summoned him to come and pay me a visit tonight. And while he's here on my orders, I'll not have you sully this fine establishment by turning him to ash to scatter all over this lounge. Disabled just... Bears his fang slightly again, giving her a dirty look, and then he turns away. Under his breath, you hear him mutter, If I could sway the rest of the Primogen, I would put an end to this experiment of yours, Annabel. No good can come from this. You know his kind. Annabel smiles again and says, Yes, I do know his kind. I also know that unlike most of his kind, Alexander is without a sire, was never indoctrinated by others of his clan, and therefore I have taken it upon myself to rehabilitate him." Abraham just scoffs, brushes his hand in the air, and he says, two years now, and... He still isn't fit for kindred society. Critias raises a hand. The ancient Bruhar just nods and says, Everyone should have a chance to be accepted within society. Annabelle is performing a great service to this Zamisi, taking him under her wing, guiding him as the sire he does not have would not have and ensuring that he remains close by the Camarilla so that we may keep an eye on him and ensure that he does not fall into the ways of those of his bloodline. Annabelle just smiles and then she gestures for you to follow her. I do so dutifully. She leads you Out of the Primogen Lounge, past the leather armchairs and sofas, off the glass floor into the passageway behind the lounge that leads to the private booths, the private drinking and smoking rooms, the places where particularly uh, comfortable patrons of the succubus club may have their innermost desires fulfilled. She directs you to an open booth and you walk in take a seat on the uh, take a seat on the long leather couch inside and then she steps in pulls the door shut behind her and sits down opposite you facing you across a glass coffee table she says nothing she simply reaches into the bodice of her dress pulls out a small stiletto knife brings it to her wrist and slices it, allowing the blood to flow three. And then she holds out her wrist for you. Please roll to avoid hunger frenzy. Uh, willpower again? Yes. And difficulty three. Uh, that is a success. Three successes. And so... Calmly now, you lean forwards and you bring your mouth down to bear on her rift, licking the blood away and sucking out more as it spills out of her wound. The sweet nectar, more potent and pleasurable than any drug, any experience you remember from when you were living, you may reset your hunger to one. Annabelle extracts her wrist from your mouth and licks the wound shut, and then she leans back in the couch, brushes a lock of blonde hair out of her face, and she says, Don't let Abe and his friends get to you, darling. Those of us who those of us who know you, appreciate you, and the things you can do. Mm-hmm. The opinions of a glorified blood witch do not bother me, my lady. She nods, and then she says, And it is the things you can do that bring you to me Speaking tonight. Speaking of Yes. I
1: pull a bloody handkerchief from my pocket. The only, thing, the only article of clothing I was still wearing when I had my little development. At the break of this evening and hand it to
0: her. She takes it and then she looks at it ponders the blood stained into the handkerchief and she says well no wonder you're on the verge of frenzy. What on earth have you been doing darling?
1: <laughs> if you would Be so kind, put it to your lips. tell me what do you taste.
0: She raises the handkerchief to her lip, you see the tip of her tongue stick out. She licks one of the bloodstains, and you see colour rush into her face, her eyes brighten up, widen with excitement. She lowers the handkerchief, it takes a second to compose herself, and says, Vitae. Kindred Vitae. Reasonably potent. Yours, I presume? Of a sort. The
1: supply of desks and tables you have so
0: generously provided with me of starting to bear some fruit. She nods and she says, lovely, As always, I'm interested in any progress you are making, darling. You see, one as old, well, one as young as myself, doesn't reach this age without realising that there are certain tastes in feeding that one must learn to embrace. She says, and this is what brings you to me tonight. She says, have you heard of Golconda?
1: There's not a word that I've come
0: across, no. She says, well, darling, make of it what you will, but they say that Golconda is something of a state of enlightenment for kindred. Sort of a religion, but not in the ways that the mortals would embrace religion rather it is an insight that once you find it untethers you from the beast you will be a kindred but without ever having to succumb to the whims of the beast and for 29.99 a month you can find out how you see her lip twists a momentary fit of a momentary spasm of anger as if somehow you've insulted something very dear to her and she says yes well most think it's nothing but fancy however i've seen more than three centuries on this earth and i grow weary of the beast in fact, if there is such a thing as Golconda, uh, then you too would be free. You wouldn't have to spend your nights in that cottage, bringing yourself to the verge of frenzy to see if you can get blood to flow from a stone. Or should I say a plant?
1: She says, Do I trust my request for complete privacy worth? Not entirely fulfilled, then.
0: I gave her a knowing smile. She laughs, and she says, Oh, darling, it's only I who knows. And I may be harpy, but there are some shreds of gossip that even I wouldn't spread around, considering I have a young Zemisi in my employ who feeds from me and runs my errands If that were to get out, if it were to get out exactly what I'm sponsoring you to do, then I suspect you might have to compete with me over who is at the bottom of the pecking order around here. Hmm.
1: And I understand that is not a game I'm favoured to win. So,
0: our arrangement still stands. She nods, and she says... Which is why I've called you here tonight, something that you may make use of. You see, there is a Golconda scholar by the name of Zachary Forge. He's rather reclusive, Chicago-born, but hasn't been in the city for at least the last 50 years. He's been travelling around the world, attempting to chase Golconda to find out what he can about it. Well. I've received word that Mr. Forge has returned to Chicago. He's wasted no time at all, uh, moving back into his manor. Out towards the, out towards the suburbs. Has has called his assistant, rather, rather unfashionable little woman ghoul by the name of Emma Smith and has sent out an invitation to all kindred of Chicago who would like to learn the path to Golconda to come and visit him tonight in his manor where he will proselytize to anyone who is Curious enough to take up his invitation, she leans back. And of course,
1: one such as High Standing of Yourself could not possibly go to a party where anyone can attend.
0: Oh darling, she says, brushing her hand in the air. Just imagine what would happen if I, Annabelle Triabelle, was seen at a Golconda Researcher's lecture as he babbles on about what most of the kindred in Chicago consider to be nothing more than fairy tales. My reputation would take a nosedive, dear. In fact, I have it on good authority that the only kindred taking up his offer are those who, well, wouldn't really show their face around places such as the Succubus Club anyway. She says, so you can see where you come in.
1: Would you like a recording
0: or just notes? She says, neither. Physical evidence will only come back to bite me in the ass. I want you to go there, find out what he knows. And as much as I fully expect it to be nothing but fairy tales, if there is something actually useful, to do with it what you will. She laughs and she says, Who knows, perhaps we might both be incredibly lucky and Mr Forge does have the path to Golconda there and this time tomorrow night we shall be chatting it up here in the Succubus Club not having to worry about where to procure our next feed from. The curse of Cain eliminated leaving only the endless night to revel in for eternity. Her eyes
1: glisten. I nod my head dutifully, but inwardly, I sigh think were are so easy.
0: (laughs) She reaches into her purse. She pulls out a slip of paper and hands it to you. On it is written Zachary Forge's address. Based on your knowledge of Chicago, he is indeed someone who must have once pulled, held a lot of sway as his manor house is in a gated community out in the suburbs of Chicago. The type of place where any Chicago dweller would never set foot because they wouldn't have enough money to buy uh, an hour's parking there.
1: <sighs> these aren't exactly unfamiliar grounds to me.
0: She says, "Yes, you're certainly notorious, dog, but they say that you were once a regular face at all sorts of high society events." Mm. She says, "So you should be right up your alley, and the other kindred who are uh, taking up his offer." Well, you know, I can't be your only friend, might help to make other connections, you know what I mean? I smile. Dutifully. She stands up and she says, good! Well then, any more questions? I do have to get to a conference down at the art gallery. Uh, they've opened a new wing in my honour.
1: Everything seems to be perfectly organized.
0: She says, well then, head on out to Fullersburg. Mm. And hopefully I will hear from you when the night is done. And then as she walks towards the room, she turns around, turning her head over her shoulder. And it's like there's a different person there. Where sweet bubbly Annabelle was standing now you see a demon bearing its fangs, eyes flashing red, her face taking the countenance of some alien monstrosity. She hisses and she says and remember I did not send I did not send you there. A wicked smile crossed my face of course. You did not. She turns around, opens the door, and steps out, leaving you alone. What would you like to do? I take a moment to enjoy
1: a feeling where my thirst is not at the forefront of my mind. Give me time to think. Well, I know at least I'm. Not to stay where I'm not welcome. And I beat a hasty retreat
0: from the um, succubus club. I'll take the back exit if there is one. Yes. Uh, so instead of passing back through the primogen lounge, you walk down the hallway past all the other private booths and eventually see a staff uh, entrance to another stairwell that leads down to the bar and kitchen of the first floor. You make your way down the stairwell and pass by a couple of bemused-looking mortals as you open the metal door and step out into the alleyway at the yep. back of the succubus club. Um, nah, let's the
1: uh, I just leave and... get into my car. Yep. Click the radio on news channel and then drive to the gated community
0: yep so you stick on the news channel the news is full of stories of a floundering economy businesses closing jobs being lost the city of Chicago being flooded with the homeless and the destitute You drive your car down the crowded roads of downtown until the bright lights of the city are behind you and you find your car wending along the lonely quiet road into the suburb of Oak Brook, formerly known as Fullersburg, one of the richest and most exclusive areas of Chicago. You come to the street, listed on the piece of paper, and sure enough, in front of it, in front of you, you find your path blocked by a large wrought iron gate, completely shut. There is a gatehouse in front of it, a tinted glass window preventing you from seeing inside, but next to it, there is a small intercom with a label reading, press for admittance. I uh, press the um, button. You press the button, and there's some static that comes out of the intercom, and then you hear a vo- uh, you hear a gruff male voice say, "Who? Oh, okay. Uh, you're the guest of whom, and your purposes for visiting tonight are." What's the name of Zachary the- Forge. That's it. Um, I believe I will be a
1: guest of Forge, and I
0: say I am in search of Golconda. Golconda, he says. Well, I haven't heard anything about that, but Mr. Forge did say to expect guests, and you're the third to arrive tonight. Look, rules are, you park your car in front of... Of Mr. Forger's house, do not park on the driveway, and you are not permitted to step onto the property of anyone else in the street. You are permitted, permitted right of entry only in Mr. Forger's estate to cross the front garden and enter and exit his home. Understood? I know. He says, furthermore, any weapons or illegitimate goods are to be surrendered here at the gatehouse to be returned when you leave. I... am currently not packing any weapons. Very well, says the man. And, uh, who should I write down is visiting? alexander borger alexander borger you hear him you hear scratching on a piece of paper he said the voice says very well mr borger enjoy your night remember all non-residents are to evacuate the street by uh, one o'clock a.m on the dot if you wish to stay the night you must have a notarized and a notarized and approved permit signed by the owner of the household where you wish to stay. With that, the intercom goes silent and the iron gate slowly rattles open, granting you access to the street. You drive your car up the street to Zachary Forge's house. It's the one right at the very end a huge neo-gothic style mansion at least 3 floors it dwarfs anything else in the street and looks to be by far the oldest home in the neighborhood his estate is surrounded by a black iron fence complete with spiky minarets running along the top and you notice turrets and battlements dotting the top of his manor house along the roof there are even a handful of gargoyles here and there eagerly watching your car as it draws closer to the estate and um, then comes to a stop on the curb
1: out of curiosity from my past in um, as an observer to high society would i have any foreknowledge of this particular problem
0: You have indeed actually heard of this property. This is the first time you've been this close to it. But you have been in this neighbourhood before as a mortal, and you know of this property. Of course, it is an open secret that it's owned by Mr. Forge. However, he has not been in residence since at least the 1950s. And so the property's always been off limits. It's just been looked after by a caretaker and some security guards. Interesting. And that fills in a
1: few blanks, I suppose. And I parked my car specifically where I was um, told to do so.
0: Um, I'm assuming there's a valet doesn't appear to be one. You park your car and nobody comes to collect it. Indeed, as you step out of your vehicle, you notice one other parked a short distance from your car on the edge of the curb of the neighbouring property. A rather beat-up looking Ford from the 1960s or 70s. The sides of it covered in rust, the tyres. Dusty, the windows cracked and caked with grime. Certainly looking out of place in a neighbourhood like this. Mm. As you climb out of the car, notice a long cobblestone driveway leading from the curb through a large open front yard filled with Immaculately maintained uh, hedges and topiaries and garden beds overflowing with all sorts of flowers and succulents. At the end of the cobblestone path is a set of stone steps that leads up to the big brown oak doors of the manor, complete with a gold gargoyle head-shaped knocker. I proceed up to the door and... Use the knock for its <laughs> <coughs> The knock echoes. Bang, bang, bang. Almost immediately, the door opens, and standing on the other side is a human woman, about five feet tall, quite short, quite s- built, quite small, and just as Annabelle described her, quite unfashionable. She's wearing. Uh, She's wearing denim overalls, and underneath that, a uh, yellow shirt that seems to be stained with a mixture of dirt and blood. Um, Emma, I presume. She nods, and she says, Oh, you've been well informed. Yes, Emma Smith. uh, Am I to presume you're here for Mr. Forge's lecture? Yes. She says, Good, good. He's not getting quite the turnout he expected, but he says anyone who shows up is one more soul that he may help down the path to salvation. Please, please come in, she says. You step into a marbled entrance hall. It looks like it's only fairly recently been moved into. Someone's done a rush job of cleaning it, and it looks quite... Uh, clean uh, It looks quite welcoming and clean at first glance, but you notice here and there a couple of spots of dust or scratches on the tiled floor. Things that would have accumulated over decades of this place being unoccupied that can't be simply swept away in a couple of nights. Emma pushes the door shut behind you and she says, everyone's assembling in the library if you'll follow me and she gestures to the hallway behind her wending past the carpeted staircase that leads upstairs further into the huge mansion and as you walk she just looks at you contemplating you and she says I'm sorry mister I don't think I got your name Borger. Borger, she says. She thinks for a moment as if trying to think if she's heard it before. And I'd like you to make a wits insight check, please. Um, one success. You notice, although she remains silent, her her walking, her movement falters for a second. She falls about half a step back from you and her eyes very briefly light up in an instant of recognition that she quickly has I under turn, control. I
1: turn my eyes to her and give her a knowing look and a smile and then continue walking without
0: saying a word. As you continue walking, she follows behind you, and you see the door to the library at the end of the hallway. You're approaching it. It's currently shut. Anything she says is out of the earshot of anyone who'd be waiting on the other side in the library. She lowers her voice, and she says, Borgra. She says, Now, I've heard that before. Which family are you from, Mr Borgra? The Borgra family. She smiles and she says Yes the Borgra family. Such as like my name is Emma Smith, but if you were to dig far enough back before I came into the service of Mr Forge, my name would have been Emily Bratovich. Bratovich, you say? She just nods.
1: You may have some distant relation, then. On my great-uncle's side.
0: She nods. She nods. And she says nothing other than to say, please, be careful around Mr. Forge. He will see what you are. And... It may be what he's been looking for, the thing that he says will free him from the beast. And
1: would this end well for me as a distant cousin, let's say?
0: She says cousin to distant cousin. She says all I'll say is that my previous master, was a Zamisi until Mr. Forge, on his quest for Golconda, rescued me. Or at least, that's the word he uses, rescued. And I thought that too at first, but, well, you'll see when you meet Mr. Forge, the things he's had me do. The things that he has had me do for him over these past decades. She stops, she looks at you and frowns, and she says, Sometimes I think that perhaps Mr. Forge is no different than those who he claims he's trying to save himself from.
1: Let's to it. And I suppose we'll be in good company. And with that I
0: proceed through the door. You reach for the doorknob. The gold doorknob. You turn it and push open the thick mahogany door into the library. The library is large enough that you presume it takes up at least half of the house's first floor. It's a large open room. Easily the size on its own of a low income house. Back in the uh, west side of Chicago, um, there's a wooden, f- th- there's a half-polished wooden floor that takes up most of the room. It's still sort of dusty. Would have, it needs weeks to sweep away the grime of several decades. But it's polished enough that you can see yourself reflected in it, A distorted, clouded shadowy silhouette of Yourself All around you are huge thick wooden bookcases groaning under the weight of hundreds of books Each of them looking like One they cost thousands upon thousands of dollars and two are likely the only uh, copies of their kind if not in Chicago than possibly in the entire United States. You look around and you see three other kindred in attendance. Each of them gathered in the very center of the library, around a around a long mahogany reading table. On the middle of the table. Uh, On the middle of the table is something tall, rectangular shaped under a white cloth, and standing around it are who you can only presume to be Zachary Forge, a severe-faced but well-groomed man wearing khaki shorts, uh, wearing the khaki shorts and shorts and short-sleeved shirt of Someone on safari in the wilds of Africa Standing opposite him is a brown skinned woman approximately in her early 20s uh, her black hair hidden under a gray hijab and next to her An impossibly tall and thin man, dressed in a form-hugging pinstripe suit. His face almost as pale as porcelain, his eyes red. And as he stares at Mr. Forge, he stands perfectly unnaturally still. Unlike most kindred, he is not even pretending to breathe. His body doesn't move, he does not pretend to blink, he just stands still, like a statue. I suppose I should introduce myself to the host. I step forward to the man that I presume is Zachary Ford. The man in the khakis turns and as soon as he sees you, his eyes grow wide and his face twists into a happy smile and he says, Ah! Another one! Come to seek salvation! He holds out a hand, he says, Zachary Ford, Chicago's foremost researcher of Golconda, 12th generation Ventrue, child of Jefferson and then he holds out his hand. I wrap my long, cold fingers around his
1: and embrace his hand in a warm, in a very cold and gentle shape. Alexander Bulger, 12th Generations, V.C.
0: Uh, Sire, unknown. I'd like you to make a wits insight check, please. Uh, no successes. He just smiles, and if he has anything to say, he keeps it to himself. He extracts his hand, and he says, Good, good. Uh, Let's say give it 15 more minutes to see if anyone else turns up, and we shall begin. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to make sure uh, all of my last-minute preparations are ready. He smiles once again, and then turns, stepping out of the library into the hallway outside. And you see, as soon as the door opens, he makes a hand motion, and you see Emily come running towards him, and as she approaches him, she sort of hunches down. It's almost as if he's about to hit her, but he does nothing. He merely walks silently out into the hallway, and she follows him like a dutiful hound. The other two kindred look at you, the hijabi woman contemplating you with yellow eyes staring into you intently. The other man in the pinstripe suit staring at you, not blinking, still not moving. There is no expression on his face and he reveals no hint, if anything, of what, if anything, he is thinking. I suppose introductions are in order, you've heard my name. The hijabi woman looks at you and she says, uh, Aika Rana, a Banu Hakim? And she holds out a shaking hand. I
1: take it in mine, holding it tenderly, shaking it.
0: She says, I couldn't help but notice you said Sire unknown, so I suppo- I don't suppose we're here for well, she smiles and says, "Daddy issues."
1: I smile and go. Suppose all of the sort.
0: Just my side
1: doesn't bother me.
0: She says, "So, uh, so it's not like your sire, you know, embraced you against your will and." Sends you out to kill people and perform all sorts of dark rites just because they're stronger than you. And you're not by any chance <laughs> looking for a way to free yourself from this pyramid scheme that that we call undeath, right?
1: I suppose you could say that. Your origins are closer in some ways than you think and further apart in other ways you wouldn't imagine. I turn to the tall, thin
0: man. I see if you've come accustomed to death. He makes no movement, he just smiles, and you notice underneath his lips that his fangs are impossibly long, each one at least the length of your index finger, and the tips of them are still stained with dried blood. He says, yes, When you've spent enough time amongst the Black Hand, then you forget what you must do to pass as living.
1: Hmm. I have to forgive my infancy. Black Hand's not a term I have heard, though it seems not a night goes by without me hearing some other term that which is meaning, which meanings elude me.
0: Oh, he says, but you are a Zemisi. Surely you know of the Black Hand. Your clan, one of the uh, most celebrated members of the Sabbat. He says, in fact, a Ventrue like myself was always second fiddle to the old clan. He gestures towards you with with a hand that just moves stiffly Quickly, purposefully. Again, I wrap my hand around his and shake it. Hmm. Nearly Edwards, he says as he shakes your hand. I've been out of Chicago for, well, let's say quite a while. And, well, I've come back. I don't have a lot of friends, and I, very mu- and I have a past that I would very much like to distance myself from. So I thought, what's the harm in coming and seeing what Zachary Forge has to tell me about his so-called salvation? Hmm.
1: I suppose this is as good a hobby as any to meet people. I take a seat in the room and glance over the library. Is there anything that would take my interest? I am um, specifically look on esoteric books on um,
0: horticulturalism, um, plant grafting or anything like that. Make an intelligence occult or intelligence gardening check. I please. do have academics English literature. Oh, you can do, you can make that then. Intelligence, yeah. academic, and I guess it's a specialty you may add a dice.
1: These two dice for a specialty, is it? Oh, yeah. uh,
0: no, it's just one extra dice. Oh, extra. Yep. Basically, it acts as if you have an extra dot. Right. One, two, three, four, five, replace
1: we'll
0: by. Uh, that is three successes. Three successes? You lazily ambled through the shelves, gazing at the spines of the books. There are thousands of tomes here, and to go through them all fully would take, well, possibly, all of eternity. Good thing you have all the time in the world. But there are a couple that catch your attention. There are a series of tomes with titles along the lines of rituals of the old clan. Coldunic sacrifice and flesh crafting states from mineral to mammal. I'll take
1: the flesh crafting one, though, actually, I'll take the coldunic, I'll take all three down and leaf through see if there's some contents get a brief idea of what each one contains
0: so these books as you pull them out a cloud of dust billows out from the shelf into your face and as you open each book it makes like a crackling rattling noise as the pages have been bound together for decades but eventually you separate them and begin to leaf through each book and you find that these are Mainly books about the practices of the Zamisi clan, written by kindred scholars of ages past. The books are written in an incredibly archaic form of English that dates from around the 14th century and. So you get the impression that these books are quite old, possibly once the prized uh, possibly once the prize centerpiece of somebody's uh, collection. But they contain a basic rundown on the Zamesi clan and its anti-trebu, how they came how a schism was created between the Clan of Zamesi and the anti-tribu known as the Old Clan Zamesi. Mm. And the books also chronicle, in general terms, not enough that you would be able to replicate these things, but enough that you have knowledge you may possibly turn your experiments in that direction. Uh, practices and rituals performed by both the Zamisi and the Old Clan Zamesi in a number of disciplines, including blood sorcery, uh, cold junic sorcery, and flesh crafting, particularly flesh crafting as a means of creating easily accessible, easily distributed vitae containers for the Zemisi to take with them when traveling across Transylvania.
1: Interesting.
0: Oh. Notably one uh, notably one passage describes the kidnapping of a mortal villager and the torturous application over a week-long period of flesh crafting maintaining the mortal's volume of blood but compressing it down into a much smaller size eventually turning the mortal into a blood fleshy blood vessel about the size of a soccer ball that could be easily carried around in its owner's belongings but still contains the entire volume of blood of the original human
1: interesting take a notebook out of my Pocket, which you'll notice has a stain or two here. I'll oh, mm, quickly jot down some of the more pertinent information, perhaps something to um, investigate further in my
0: studies. You hear the sound of the library door opening and then clapping. As Mr. Forge walks back in with his mm. ghoul Emma behind him, he looks around and he says, Very well, very well, it's 11 pm, and I don't think anyone else will be joining us tonight. Best we get on with the enlightenment, shall we?
1: I hope I. I'm go, I hope
0: you don't mind, I've availed myself of your library. He looks at you, he sees you holding the book open in your hand, and I'd like you to make a wits insight check, please. Uh, two successes. Two successes. You see him... You see him give off the subtle hint of a smile, as he says, Yes, yes, I thought those would catch your eye. Let me tell you, it was hard to get a hold of those, and they have been quite a comfort during the lonely night searching for Golconda. Interesting.
1: Hmm. I snap the book shut and I go, hmm. Perhaps you would one day allow me to peruse your library at a more leisurely pace. Seems to be much from my plan I could learn here, the, um, tender ministrations of... the current company I keep.
0: Zachary nods and he says, Indeed! Indeed, if you find enlightenment here tonight, feel free to come back. We shall be friends in Golconda. And, might I... Might I tell you... With, at this he leans in, lowers his voice, and looks looks you in the eye and he says, one such as yourself, arriving tonight, I take as a sign it is fate. For you see, your people have done much to try to divorce themselves from the, from the beast that causes us to hunt, to prowl in alleyways and bars every night, to search for scraps like mongrel dogs. He says, and I think what we shall see here tonight will be what finally frees me and you, and perhaps these other poor souls from the beast that torments us. With that, he gestures for you to take a seat at the table. And take a seat at the table. He claps his hands and he says, welcome, everybody. So, Golconda... You've all probably heard of it. You all probably think it's a load of bunk. I, Zachary Forge, am here to tell you that no, Golconda is indeed real. Separation from the beast is indeed something that we can achieve in unlife, and tonight I will prove it to you right here. I've spent the last 50 years traveling the world, searching for arcane lore, forgotten secrets, buried memories, anything I could so that I could understand the state of what we are as kindred, the curse of Cain. He looks around and he says, well, one thing I'm seeing In these nights is that there are many Neonates, many who do not perhaps know their own state of being. He says, so I put it to you all, Cain. Do you know of Cain, of the curse that is carried in your blood?
1: I did do some basic Bible studies in school, I suppose. I know the stories.
0: He laughed. He says, well, yes, I suppose it's similar. There is a Cain and Abel in the Bible, just as there is a Cain and Abel in the Book of Nod. The book that many kindred throughout history have pointed to as the definitive account of who we are and where we came from. That Cain, upon slaying his brother, was cursed by God, no less. Cursed with the curse, with what we suffer with today. Curse, or as I've come to think of it, a gift for, yes, we shall never see another sunrise, but we get to live for eternity, the endless night, to do as we wish. How could that be a curse? Is that not a gift? Beside you see Ikerana, just nod nearly edwards making no movement whatsoever forge continues he says and just as cain was cursed to forever be bound to the predations of his beast to be less than a man to stalk the shadows like some sort of animal we his childer 12 and 13, even 14, 15, 16 generations removed, still labour every night for the same. Until now, he says. He says, you see, up until now, the pursuit of Golconda has been, well, has been approached as a mortal would approach a religion, as if it were a 12-step program. Shape up, fly right, redeem yourself for your sins, achieve enlightenment, and you will never have to hunt again. Well, no, it's not like that at all, he says. He gestures towards the rectangle-shaped object covered by the cloth on the table. Emma, his ghoul, rushes forwards and grabs the cloth and yanks it away. Under the cloth is a thick iron cage in the in the cage standing perfectly still his face and eyes glazed over blank indicating he is clearly dominated is a naked man with long red hair. Ford gestures towards him. This right here this is proof that you can be separate from your beast, that you can overcome the predations that force you to scrounge for scraps, to hide from the Inquisition, to feed off of rats and drunken, drugged up party goers. He looks at you each in turn and he says, well, do any of you see what I'm getting at?
1: I look down at the man is there anything about the man that is noteworthy
0: he appears to be just a normal man however you do notice that on his legs and his arms you see a couple of blood vessels bulging out bright blue almost as if he's afflicted with some sort of disease you look into his face, he stares back at you, his face blank. He's been dominated into complete subservience. Aika karana puts her hand up and she says, I'm sorry, I thought this was going to be about how to not have to eat. And yet you have a man here, he's naked, his blood vessels are bulging. Might I say, if I was... If I hadn't been dragged off the streets and embraced by my sire, I might have said, said he has an incredible physique. A peak specimen, you might say. Forge claps his hands together. He says, Indeed, a peak specimen. He says, Now, I'm of Clan Ventru. You may be familiar with my clan we are forced by nothing more than the arbitrary will of the curse carried in our blood from Cain to feed only from a specific kind of vessel in my case sleeping women he says now I don't know about you but sleeping women. Well, you have to go out of your way to find them. You have to break into their homes. You have to risk being caught. And, well, it doesn't really make you an efficient hunter if your prey is in slumber, does it? He turns to you and he says, Mr. Borgra, your clan, your clan is what inspired me in my travels. You were reading my book before. Did you read about how Zemisi elders were able to take a vessel of blood, a human, and condense its form down to something that could fit in the palm of your hand that they could just carry with them, negating the need to hunt ever again?
1: (laughs) A wicked smile twists my face, and yes, I can see where you're going with this.
0: He says, Indeed, indeed, my manner of feeding does me no favours. It leaves me forever bound to the whims of my beast. And so, fighting against my nature, I have conditioned a new vessel, he gestures towards a man in the cage, one of my assistants. I have conditioned him to possess rarefied tempered blood. a result of months of pain and torment. In theory, the vessel that we drink from should not matter. It is the vitae, the lifeblood, that keeps us going. If I drink from this assistant, I should be nourished, just as if he were a woman deep in slumber. He says, do you see? I will never be bound to my beast. I do not need to follow my beast's predations, degrade myself to breaking into women's rooms at night. I can embrace what I want to be, an efficient hunter who does as he wishes, how he wishes. He smiles, and the smile is all too cold. And even, even, ...sends shivers down your spine. <laughs> Aika raises her hand and she says, So... So... So, let me get this straight. This isn't about freeing yourself from the vampiric condition at all. It's about just making it so you can eat whoever you want. Do I have that right? Beside her, Edward nearly makes the slightest of nods. And Zachary Ford says... If you wish to be so simple about it, yes, but it's about more! Process of modernization. He smiles, he says, The Zamisi gets it, just as I thought he would, and now I will demonstrate it for you all! He gestures once more towards the cage. Emma creeps forwards and then she looks at him and she says, Uh, Mr. Forge, are you- He raises a hand. And he looks into her eyes and he says, do it. She steps forwards. She reaches into one of the pockets of her denim overalls, pulls out a small grimy iron key on a ring, inserts it into the lock on the cage, and then steps back. Inside the cage, the man's eyes flutter, flicker open as if he's just woken up. He realizes where he is. He sees Forge, Emma, you, Neely, and Aika gathered around him. Immediately, he begins to shake, looking back and forth. He opens his mouth in a scream and then bursts out of the cage, leaping off the table and setting off at a run throughout the library, across the library towards the door leading out. Do you do anything? I just observe. You just observe. I'd like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Uh, wits. No, that is three successes. Three successes. You see two things out of the corner of your eye. The first, as the man sets off at a run across the library. You see Zachary Forge's eyes light up bright red. He opens his mouth, baring his fangs, and lips his lips, as he lets out a hiss. <sighs> Beside you, Aika climbs silently out of her chair, and steps backwards into the shadow of one of the bookshelves. And when you turn to look at her, she is gone, It would nearly remain still, simply watching Forge opens his mouth and shouts, "Ah!" and then runs at full speed towards the man. He stops about halfway through the library, and as the man screams and fidgets with the doorknob, he springs his knees and makes an astounding leap through the air like a cat pouncing on its prey, landing on the unfortunate man. Pinning him to the ground, and then without even waiting to see your reaction, bears his fangs, (sighs) deep in frenzy, sinks his teeth into the man's neck. You watch as the man twitches, as the colour is drained from him, as Forge drains all of the blood out of him in a matter of seconds. Forge raises his mouth. Extracting his fangs from the man's flesh, a small spout of blood sprays forth. Colouring Forge's face, Forge stands up and roars. <laughs> he has hit humanity zero and is in wassail. What would you like to do?
1: Um... I aware of what the fuck a sale is?
0: You may make, uh, do you have a cult? No. You may just make an intelligence check, please.
1: Ah, uh, that is two successes.
0: And a word drifts into your mind as you watch this Ventrue, tearing this man's body to shreds in front of you, like a rabid dog ripping apart a piece of meat. sale You've heard it from Annabelle, no less, when she put you to the task of learning how to produce kindred blood for her. You remember her smiling, whispering in your ear, telling you that, like You, she too has to feed. But she doesn't want to hurt anyone. But if she doesn't want to hurt anyone, then she cannot feed. And if she gets hungrier and hungrier and has to resort to more and more depraved means of acquiring the particular blood, she must feed on. Then she feels her humanity draining away, feels herself becoming closer and closer to the beast, until, she tells you, that dreaded day when each kindred frenzies for the final time, becomes one with their beast and goes into a state known as wassail. Permanent frenzy, Right now, Zachary Forge is before you. He's ripped out one of the man's arms, snapped off a leg, and is in the process of ripping an eye out of the man's socket as he screams and roars, his hands contorted into the shape of claws, and his f- and his khaki safari gear already dotted with stains of blood, torn from him, writhing in frenzy.
1: Alright, well, in that case, while he is distracted, I will... Um, what are my methods of egress? At the so... Moment? Or well, my, my my uh how should I say paths of egress. So right?
0: if you want to try to get out of the library, you could get out through the door you came in. He's frenzying right in front of it, so you'd have to pass him. There is a you did see a window as you were moving through the um library shelves out into the backyard of the estate. If you wish to escape, there would be that. Otherwise, there are other kindred here, possibly subduing Frenzying forge might also be an option. It's entirely up to you. Meanwhile, his ghoul Emma just stands on the spot, staring, her mouth dropping open in shock as her previously dignified master becomes a rabid animal before her eyes.
1: Mm. Alright. I am going to. um, in that case, we are going to go Combat Form. Um, I would like to Rouse the Blood Yep. to Vicissitude myself. Go ahead, Rouse the Blood, please. Uh, that is a pass, so I remain at Hunger 1. Yep. So, I now roll... Resolve plus protein I have three and two uh, that is and a heap of successes but I can only apply two.
0: So what would you like to do?
1: Um, I would like to extend out my arms and extend my claws out long thin razor blade like claws that extend from each of my fingers um, my arms become spindly my legs become spindly my bones fuse together and become armored as I go into a form already for bloodshed and um, I'm going to call a shot
0: to his legs. Yep, so I would like you to please uh, roll. He's also going to make a roll. Uh,
1: me. And I'm also going to rouse the blood. Yep. For extra stats. uh, Which is a pass as well.
0: Pass? Yep. So that's two extra dice. Yep. One, two, three. yep and I've given him a dice penalty of one as he's distracted
1: Um, though I will have a um, dice penalty of one um, because I'm
0: calling the shot I believe yes so you're both equal at this point so I have one two three four five six
1: seven successes
0: yep he had five,
1: so and I am for conditional two points of damage. Yep, and that's aggravated,
0: I uh, believe. No,
1: it is, uh, it is. Doesn't say it's ag- aggravated; it just says normal. I think it's just um, lethal. I think.
0: Yep. So he's going to so. He hears you rushing towards him, and he looks up, looking towards you with his red blood-stained eyes, and he attempts to move out of the way, but he's too late. You rush towards him with your claws, and you swing your claws into his legs, digging into his flesh, ripping the khaki short leg away, and tearing some of his flesh off him. He's going to rouse the blood. That is a fail. He is now at Hunger 4. And he uses his Toughness Fortitude and subtracts 3 from the damage you dealt. You just feel his flesh harden and your claw seems like it hit bone even though it's barely dug into the surface of the skin and you only deal one point of damage. He then stands up Onto his feet, and he's going to rouse his blood again. Rouse check. He's going to rouse his blood again. He's now at hunger five. He lowers, he bends his knees on the spot and then leaps up. Leaping at least 20 feet up in the air, reaching out his hands as if they were claws and digging them into the plaster on the ceiling. Dust and powder drop on, drop down onto you as what was once Zachary Forge hangs there, his claws digging into the ceiling like some sort of deformed insect. He looks down at you and hisses. And then his eyes grow red as he realises that you are his next meal. What would you like to do? Um, I would... I'm going to hiss...
1: Hi um, Karani's name. I'm like,
0: I know you're still here, give me a fucking hand. <laughs> you hear no response. Meanwhile, Ed- meanwhile, nearly Edwards just stands, watching. Oh, he's got a slight smile on his face. As if this is just nothing more than a show for him. What would you like to do? They forges to Forge's head shoots to the left, shoots to the right. And then he notices the window at the very back of the library and begins to scurry across the roof towards it. Slower than you can run. Um, But still moving faster than you would expect a grown man to crawl across upside down on the roof. Uh, I
1: am going to...
0: I wonder, can I make eye contact with him at the moment? You could try. You'd have to possibly restrain him.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to... Can I reach the window from where I am?
0: Um, yes, you can reach it before he can.
1: Alright, um, I'm going to block his exit and assume a defensive stance to, you know, if he tries to go through me, there's going to be a, you know, a lot of blades in his way.
0: So you run, you sprint across the room, past the table and stand in front of the window holding your claws in front of you like crossed swords.
1: And I, I whisper, I whisper at the score of my mouth, and say, oh, if you know where he's going to be, if you're going
0: to do something, do it fucking now. <laughs> He continues scrambling across the roof towards you, and then he sees that you've blocked his exit. He hisses. Arr! And then he lets go off the roof and drops down towards you, flailing his arms. Would you like to attack him back or do you just want to defend? I'll attack him back. Alright, you no may hold shot this time. Yep, you may make you may add an extra dice as you did prepare. Uh, so... I'll grouse again. Yep.
1: Uh, that's a fail, so I got to Hunger Two. Yep.
0: Two, four, seven, eight. Right. So that's two, four,
1: six
0: successes. Yep. Okay. So he flails at you. He's going to make a rouse check. That is a pass, so he's not going to go torpid. And then using his prowess, he's going to. So, how many successes did you get? Six. Six, okay, so we got four plus six altogether. And then, okay, so. I've got plus two to one damage. Yep. That's one, two, three. Ooh, and that's criticals. So, that's four. Okay. So that is eight successes from him.
1: So I take two points of damage?
0: Yeah. Which gets reduced to zero by my armor. Except his lethal body allows him to ignore one level of armor per potence level. And what's his potence level? Three. So Uh he deals two Two points points of aggravated damage to you Mm. as he tears at your flesh with his claws screaming. At this, you suddenly hear the sound of... Footsteps, tap, 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 running over uh, the wood. You turn to your right and you see Aika running from the other side of the room, from a, from behind both yourself and Forge, the complete opposite direction to which you saw her edge away. And she's running with blinding speed. She zooms up to him and before he has a chance to react she pulls out a switchblade and shoves it towards him. He's going to attempt to dodge, but he's got a penalty. So that is only one success so far. Yeah, only one success. I'll go for her. That is three successes. She deals two points of superficial damage to him as she shanks her switchblade into his chest and then jumps back as he swipes for her. He jumps back, distancing himself from both of you, and then stands there heaving. <sighs> As he looks at both of you, deciding who he wants to attack, his mouth is frothing, blood dribbling down, his eyes rolling in their sockets. What would you like to do? You can make eye contact with him now, since he's just standing there.
1: Um. Well, because he let me know that he's the same generation as I am...
0: I'm gonna try some dominate. Ooh, yes. I'm going to Just keep in mind he is in frenzy, so he gets bonus dice to resist this. Yes. Um What I'm
1: going to try and do is mesmerise him. Saying that he feels the weight of having no blood in him. He must sleep. He must fall in. State of protection so that he can sustain
0: himself. Makes sense, wouldn't it? You call his attention, he looks at you, his red eyes pulsating. You look into them and you speak. Please make a rouse check and then roll manipulation plus dominate. Uh, I'm at hunger three. Four. My dominate is
1: two. Uh,
0: that is four successes. No, six successes. Six successes. Okay, he's going to roll his intelligence plus resolve, and he gets two additional dice. So that is intelligence five, resolve two. So that is nine dice altogether. So that is three successes so far. Zero successes and... Okay, so three successes all together. So I've got three successes on him? Yep, I think, yes. Yeah, so I think, how many did you get all together? Six. Six, yes, you got three successes on him and he only got three. He looks at you, heaving. You see his hands ball into fists then unclenched and ball into fists again. He looks at you, and then his eyes roll back in his head. He falls backwards, lets out a last gasp, (sighs) as his skin begins to harden and decay, as he falls into torpor right there on the floor in the library.
1: Wonderful. I go to a piece of furniture, use my claws to whittle. Down a point to it, examine it, and then drive it through his helpless
0: heart. As you, you, head, you head over and snap a piece of wood off the table, sharpen it with your claws to serve as a stake, and then when you turn around, ready to plunge it into his heart, you see Ica standing over him, her, her switchblade open, holding it above his neck. Uh, Uh, And she makes uh, a motion to uh, decapitate uh, him. She looks at you, and she says, If we don't kill him, he's going to get out there, and he's going to kill whoever comes across him. Yes. Hence, this.
1: I step up to him and just gesture out of the way.
0: She stands firm, and she just says, Staking him, what? You're going to turn him over to the prince or something? She says, "We," she said, "We should put him out of, out of his misery while we've got him here." The traditions are. She says, "Of course," but. Please make a manipulation persuade check. No, that is two successes. She says, fine, but you hand th- him over to the prince, and you know he's not going to go quiet, he's not going to just drift away quietly. He's going to burn in the sun. They're going to torture him. We could just end it right now. Do him a kindness.
1: These aren't knights of kindness, my dear. These are nights of
0: survival. She sighs, she retreats, she pulls up her switchblade and she just steps back from Forge. You walk over, grip the stake in your hand and plunge it into his heart. You hear the crunching as it digs into the putrefied husk-like flesh. Behind you, you hear nearly Edward's voice saying, well done. I came expecting to hear maybe a grain of truth in a bunch of fairy tales, and instead I remembered, remembered what it's like, what it's like to fight for one's existence.
1: I shrug my shoulder and go, I'll take from this night what you will. I roll them up in the carpet and shrug my shoulders. I also take um, the books that I was reading from before from the shelves and Assuming he won't need these anymore. Uh, I then load him into my car and drive towards the gate.
0: Aika helps you roll him up and she helps you carry him out to your car and as you place him in the boot she looks at you and she says well Whatever becomes of him, I guess. If you didn't turn up tonight, he probably would have eaten everybody. Behind her, standing on the doorstep, illuminated in the illuminated in the lamplight of the, the lamp hanging just above the oak doors, nearly Edward stands. unnaturally still as usual, he says, "Hmm. Yes, I don't think I have quite." Those abilities, same Mm. clan, notwithstanding. Mm. I turn to the ghoul. You turn to Emma, who's just been watching this. She's silent, and she looks at you, and waits for you to say something. Mm.
1: I remove from my breast pocket a little... Silver rectangle. undo the clasp and out springs a little loaded mechanism with a single white centered card. Uh, it's my business card. Uh, I hand it to her and go. I'm sure we have much to discuss. Cousin.
0: She takes it silently. She inserts it in her pocket, and then she just looks at you and she says, "Thank you." Hmm. She says, "I oh, don't thank me yet. She says, "I know enough about this world you're part of to know it's too soon to say I'm free. Perhaps all I've done is exchange one master for another, but." Perhaps working with someone Perhaps working with someone who has been where I was perhaps things shall be easier. Perhaps.
1: I then start driving off. I also turn to I and I go. I'll hand her a card too. She and takes go, it. And go improve yourself useful tonight. If you find yourself in the need of employment, I not find myself often employing people.
0: She says she takes it and she sticks it in her pocket and you see her take a small lock of black hair that's popped out from under her head job in the kerfuffle and she pushes it back in and then she smiles and she says well, you've been more useful than the rest of my clan. Nearly smiles and says, Indeed. I thought I'd seen the last of the Zamisi when I came back to Chicago, and yet here you are. And, not indoctrinated by the Black Hand, I'll be keeping an eye on you, Mr. Borgra.
1: Mm.
0: And how are you? climb into your car, and as you drive towards the gate, I would like you to make a wits awareness check, please. Uh, six six, six successes,
1: have a look. (laughs) That was Oh boy well, yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a messy crit. That's a messy crit. <laughs> yeah So as you drive towards the gate, your senses on high alert after that struggle. You think you catch a flicker of movement in the corner of your right eye. You quickly turn, nearly losing control of your car as you mm. swerve for your senses ultra-sharp, honed for the slightest disturbance. And because you got the messy critical, you catch a full glimpse of it. There, watching you, perched on the wrought iron fence that lines Mr. Forge's property, separating it from the next. At first, just a shadow with bright yellow eyes, as you drive past it, and it grows, and it becomes illuminated in the headlights of your car, you see it for what it is. An owl. But not a normal owl. An owl with feathers grey as smoke, wavering and flickering in your headlights as if it struggles to hold corporeal form. And then, as you lock eyes with it, it turns its head And it winks, slowly closing one of its bright yellow eyes. Mm. And then, where the bird was, there is but a wisp of smoke that floats up into the darkness and disappears.
1: As I drive, I ring Annabelle up on uh, my phone.
0: And a bell lets it ring for a few moments and then she answers and she says Oh done already? Mm-hmm. She's expecting this to be an all night thing, darling. I'm still at the uh, still at the unveiling at the art gallery. Anything you wish to report?
1: In fact I do, meet me at the cottage, you'll, don't worry it will be worth your while. The cottage
0: she says? Not the succubus club?
1: No, the cottage will be better.
0: Very well, hmm. I'll see you soon. You hear a click as you reach the wrought iron gate that blocks off the street, you're about to reach out for the intercom and then you hear You're about to reach out for the intercom, and then you see the time blinking on the dashboard of your car. It's just after 1am, curfew time. You swear under your breath, but then you hear a click, and the gate begins to open in front of you, allowing you to exit. And as you drive past, you peer into the guard shack. And for a split second, Before she steps back into the shadow, you think you see the silhouette of a young woman, hooded, standing over a guard, slumped over the control panel, her hand on the button to open the gate. Mm -hmm. Make your way back through downtown. Back through the west side and out into the western suburbs, into what passes for countryside here in this part of the Midwest. Mm. Not the rolling fields and idyllic rolling fields and idyllic clearings and hamlets that you would expect in the countryside, but rather. Seemingly endless expanses of industrial concrete, highway overpasses, abandoned warehouses, and urban decay. Pull off the main road into a dirt track that leads through an empty lot through an empty lot flanked by two abandoned decaying warehouses and into a patch of And into a patch of dead, over dead, downtrodden grass that's given way to an expanse of nothing but dirt and mud where your college, where your cottage, such as it is, sits. Your cottage, nothing more than, nothing more than an annex to. The adjoining warehouse that must have once been staff quarters, now converted under, your, under you and Annabelle's guidance into something resembling a place that someone would want to live. Mm. As you park your car in front of the cottage, you notice that the front door is open. And there, inside, just visible in the light through the front window, you can see the silhouette of a young woman. But, I'd like you to make a Wits Insight check, please.
1: No. Yeah, no, just two bloodbills. Uh,
0: one success. As you step out of your car, walk across the concrete, dirt, and dead grass towards your cottage, pass by the threadbare garden you've managed to take root in of dirt just outside the door. You notice that the silhouette is perhaps an inch or two too short to be Annabelle.
1: Mm. Unclick the glove compartment and pull out a handgun.
0: Pull out your handgun. Make sure it's loaded and then stick it in your belt. Are you going to enter your cottage?
1: Yes, I'll leave um, Mr. Forge in the car at the moment though.
0: Still wrapped in his. You step in through, step in over the threshold of your cottage, pull the wooden door shut behind you, and step into your study. Took you long enough, says a female voice sitting in the wooden office chair in front of your desk still half in still only half intact still covered in dr- in dregs of dried blood the cleaners did the best they could but there were things that even they couldn't stains even they couldn't remove sits a woman long shoulder length black hair olive colored skin bright green eyes luscious lips, wearing a leather jacket and jeans. She is quite simply, and this only occurs to you as you enter the room, she's quite simply the most beautiful woman you have ever seen. She smiles and she says, Annabelle's on her way. I just thought I'd come and meet you and keep you company. Until she shows up.
1: Well, I do have some work to do and perhaps you could help me then. I go over to one of my cupboards and pull out meat hook. Um, the first meat hook I actually grabbed from the from, from the the locker that from the meat locker that fateful two years ago and then I hang it from the ceiling using a chain
0: after you're done doing this, you let the tr- you let the chain rattle, and then the woman speaks up and she says, "Not much of a host, are
1: you?" I turned to her and I said, "You can find I can be quite the host when the guests are invited."
0: Would like you to please make a. Uh, would like you to please make. A intelligence plus resolve check. Intelligence three
1: Resolve which is three and then replace three bloody dice. Uh
0: three successes. Three successes to her eight. She looks at you. She doesn't look in your eye, and yet you begin to feel her presence bearing down upon you. That familiar feeling of being dominated, even though she's not even looking into your face. Her voice lowers, and she says, come here. You do as you were said. You do as you were told, and you approach her. She smiles, and she winks, and she says, good, good, Mr. Borgra. Quite powerful, aren't you? She says, yes, you could say that. Annabelle's had a lot to say about you. She doesn't know. She's been saying it, of course. And, well, forgive me, but I wanted to make the acquaintance of Alexander Borgre and his surprisingly potent blood. She smiles, and she says, I'm Helena. Pleasure to meet you, Helena. I'm Alexander Borger. She says, please, please, show me your hand. If you would, you do as you were told, still under the bene- still under the effects of her domination. Feeling like you must do this, that this, this most precious, most beautiful creature on earth wishes to see your hand for whatever reason. You hold out your hand, she snatches out her own, grabs your hand and pulls it towards her. And she says, oh, I can see it. I can see how they grow into claws, how they're not just hands, how they can be anything you want them to be. As
1: she says this, As if to demonstrate my fingers twisted on themselves and form a
0: beautiful rose. She smiles. And she says, Lovely. Well, I don't know what Annabelle's talking about. Your clan makes you unique, but your blood is nothing special. She leans forward, looks into your eyes, and says, Please, take that rose. And plunge it into your own heart. Please make a intelligence resolve check.
1: Uh, that is five successes. Five
0: successes.
1: Uh, now, do I get a benefit um, on dominant to resist self-destructive?
0: Orders? Uh, no, because she's using terminal decree. Right. Uh, she got six successes, and so doing as you were told, you take the rose, fashion it in, fashion its end into a sharp thorn, and plunge it into your heart, effectively staking yourself.
1: You feel yourself. i just lock eyes with her the entire time.
0: Yep. You've locked eyes with her, and as you feel your body give out, you drop to the floor, unable to move, your eyes still locked with hers. She looks down at you. She smiles. And she says, Honey, it's not Annabelle who needs the blood of Kindred to live. But she thinks it is. And with that, she leans down, opens her mouth, showing her fangs, and begins to drink. Please make a Humanity plus Blood Potence check. Uh,
1: Blood Potence is 2. Humanity is... uh, 7. success from her uh, that is one two three four five six seven
0: eight successes from me you feel the blood rushing through your body drawn to her as she begins to drink you she takes enough that would be enough to fill her up but she keeps going drinking more and more and as your consciousness begins to grow weaker the horror sets in as you realize She is diabolizing you, but you fight. You keep your eyes locked onto hers, and this continues on for an eternity as her fangs dig deeper into your flesh. You feel woozy dizzy. Your vision starts to spin. You feel like your consciousness is about to just pop out of existence, and then it stops. You see Helena standing up, she looks over her shoulder, takes a step backwards, and disappears, ostensibly gone. Oh my god, what happened to you, darling? You see Annabelle rushing into the room, leaning over you, she sees that you've staked yourself with your own claws, she reaches down and you hear her grunt as she pulls she rips them out. You're able to move again. You feel the vitae beginning to circulate in your body once more. Pull yourself to a sit- sitting position and sink back. Your back against the half-destroyed desk. Annabelle looks down on you and she says, Oh honey, it looks like there's more than just fairy tales going on over there. She reaches over. Reaches into her into the bodice of her shirt, pulls out the stiletto knife, slashes her wrist, and holds it out to you. I drink deep. You drink deep. She's going to make a rouse check. Okay. Your hunger goes down to one. She extracts her wrist, steps back, and says. Oh, you're going to give me the gossip, or am I going to have to extract it out of you?
1: I get up and brush myself off as I... An unexpected
0: visitor. A rude visitor. Some a of powerful visitor. Annabelle looks around and says, A visitor? Are you sure it's safe here? She
1: walked in, dominated me, had me staked myself, and then intended. Tempted to me
0: before your arrival, so probably not. She raises her hand to her mouth, in mock mock gasping, and she says, Oh, oh my god, that's awful! Well, do, who could it have been? Has someone been following you? What happened at that lecture?
1: Hmm. I go over to my car and do the boot and pull out the rug present. And then I unroll, unfurl it, and roll out.
0: You unfurl the carpet, and Forge's body, torpid, desiccated, rolls out onto the concrete. Annabelle's eyes go wide, and she says, is this Mr. Forge? Or sale. She nods, understanding, and she says, Oh my gosh, well, that is just terrible. She looks at you and she says, So, this Golconda freeing himself from the beast, I presume it didn't work?
1: His ideas were not without merit, he was just a moron. I turn to her and go, I thought... If his line of inquiry is correct in that goggle and... Uh,
0: hmm. I've watched to think on it, actually. May I... keep him? She looks at you and she says, Well... <laughs> I'm not the one who presents Poor saps like this to the prince. I just don't get my hands dirty that way. Look, in fact, it's best if I distance myself from this entirely. So you know what? He's my gift to you, darling. Do whatever you like. And she winks.
1: I go... I drag him down to the kitchen, to the cages, remove his arms and legs, take, open a drawer, pull out a pair of old pliers, rip out each tooth, each fang individually, one by one, decloring, defanging. Making sure that there is... And then... I take his eyes too. So that he can't use any ventry tricks on me. And then I keep him in the cage. Ready for my
0: experiments. Whatever they may entail. Whatever they may entail. With that, we conclude the sub-episode. An animal out of context. You receive the following rewards. Seven experience points. Five for the session that you missed. Two for this session. You also receive a boon from Ika Rana. You receive nearly Edwards as a mauler. And this final one. The choice is yours. Emma Smith, the ghoul. Or, as you now know her, Emma Smith the Revenant. You may take her as a two-dot retainer, or you may take her as a touchstone. I will take her as a touchstone. I take her as a touchstone. And what conviction shall she represent?
1: Hmm. Even when you have nothing else, you still have
0: family. Yes, you still have family. Additionally, with the books that you appropriated from Forge's library, you may add a specialty to your arts and crafts mm. entitled Blood Flowers. <laughs> The to cool. We thank everyone for joining us here on this night as Alexander gray begins his descent into personal horror. What awaits? Will he free himself from this terrifying thirst that has embraced him? Will he create a blood flower? And what of Helena? We shall find out, both in the campaign and in future sub-episodes. Until then, drink deep of the bonsai tree, for it bleeds goodbye everyone